diet. Welcome to Frictionless. Um, all right. So the boat boss, you're on Frictionless, and we're so excited because you've been so busy that um, great things always you have to wait for. And I want to introduce uh, Kim Swears of FB Marine and the boat boss, top 100 marine dealers for several years. Uh, you got an awesome story. And uh, thank you so much for joining me today on Frictionless uh, Dealer to talk about um, the market, uh, some things that are changing. You got a pivot to tell us about. Um, I want you to make sure we talk about uh, the great story of the comeback of not only Kim Swears, um, but some of the things in your family, like your son Chase, what he's done. So, I mean, the first thing, kind of open it up. Um, I want to boat boss. You're like finally branded perfectly yes. um, as your husband is the Paul Newman of Marine. He's the racing product knowledge dynamo that knows more about boats and how to take care of people that want one. But tell us about boat boss. All right. Well, it was, it, it went through many name changes at first because um, I actually love, uh, love the show cake boss. Love it. I love cake. Cake is cake and I should be married. It's like cake and coffee. You don't need anything else in life. And so I, you know, I was like, I don't want to copy the guy, but um, I was looking at different names and I kept going back to boat boss, boat boss. And then, you know, it was one of those things when the client says they want a cigarette and you're trying to sell them a Nortec. And then, you know, they just say, listen, I want a cigarette and you're trying to sell them a Nortec. Listen, you just got to open your ears and listen to the message. And that is one thing that defines my life is I listen to my message, whether it be my faith, my gut, my customer, what, what are you being taught? every situation has a message and that message was just go with it kim go with boat boss you've been thinking about it since day one since for many years when i went to hoboken and i saw uh you know cake boss live in person I'm like man it'd be great to have the show boat boss or to talk about a lifestyle around the you know image of boat boss and so here we are um four years later now with it trademarked and uh, and now it's coming into fruition. I'm really excited about it. Well, it's so cool, and I've got to see your team in action. And so, and I I did watch Cake Boss, so I see the synergy of like get it done, and also there's nothing we can't do if we all work together to get it done. So, you're you're like uh, you know top 100 dealers. You're in actually the fixed upside too. Besides, you know uh, Paul Newman, Randy out front selling and bringing people's dreams to life on the water i've watched you and got a chance to like see the operation but literally um, when boat boss comes to life much much like cake boss it's about literally the client's experience and fixed stops and yes. and what you do not just from selling them a boat but you know the the life uh, style that you provide afterwards tell us a little bit about um you know the success of you and randy building FB Marine and literally you're a leader in the industry. People, I can see it on your social. I can see it from the business you do, but you dominate in a certain niche in Marine. And yet the service side of it as well from seeing your multiple facilities and what you guys um, are doing. Yes. Well, it started, I'll make a very long story short. Um, so Randy started the business in 1994 uh, under the name of Florida Powerboat Brokerage, and it was basically a high-performance brokerage uh, house. And then enter uh, Kim, 
uh, Kim Phillips at the time, which is my maiden name. I came into the picture in 1999, five years later, and, uh, and saw a lot of things that he could be doing better. I'm a big, I was big in corporate America. I was a vice president for a data uh, company that built networks around the world. I'm an, IT, I'm an IT person, a very techie person, and um, never stopped thinking. My brain is always going. And so when I was at his office, I saw a lot of things that I would do differently if it was my business. And, uh, and then we started analyzing numbers. Um, okay, so how much do you make on your brokerage boats? And how much do you, if you were to buy a boat and resell it, fluff it up, put some lipstick on the pig, as they say. And so the margins were a lot better uh, as a brokerage, as, as a, actually a boat that the dealership owns versus a brokerage boat, a consignment boat. So I became an investor at that point. We weren't married, and so I invested a lot of money into, uh, into the business, and we changed the name from Florida Powerboat Brokerage to FastBoats.com, which was the name of our website at the time. And so that just took off because it was a dot-com crazy. Everything was fastboats.com. We everything we did had had that logo on it, and it went viral, and it was great. Um, and then enter 2001, and 2001 was a big pivotal year for us. We were having our uh, our best years ever. And then when it was a very unfortunate uh, thing that happened to America, when obviously you know the Twin Towers, um, you know, and that whole attack. So we pivoted and went away from a sales entity and became a service business. And we have never looked back since. Service has become the foundation of our business and sales is really just something that you do. Uh, a customer comes in and out of your business to buy something, but they stay in your house because of service, parts, charter, management, whatever it might be. And that's what I actually am in charge of is the retention side of the business and the operations side, and Randy handles the sales side. So I have a very big group of people behind me that help me uh, run the sales administrative side of the business. So Randy and his salespeople sell, 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 and then it comes into my team, and then we make sure that, that everything is done correctly, legally, and that the customers are happy, and then moves on to the fixed ops department if they are a local client or somebody that you know is a seasoned client so um yeah so that's our story we've grown from um three employees to now we're almost 30 we actually were 48 uh many uh like a few years ago but through attrition and through retirement and people just obviously leaving because of whatever situation um we decided to work smarter we cross-trained people you know we uh, it, we, I believe that you should never wait to train somebody in an emergency. You should always get, have your team trained um, on everyone else's you know, position. And it's not a threat, and a lot of people take it that way. If you want to have a great vacation alone with your family and not have a million people calling you, then you see the value in training somebody to take over when you might be sick or on vacation or having you know, whatever in a family emergency. So I always related it that way to my team and said, it's not that someone's going to replace you. It's just that when you're having a bad day or you want to go see your kid's recital, this person will be your backup. And so that's what we have done is we've created a great team uh, culture, a family culture. And uh, so much so that I trademarked teamwork makes a dream work. And we own that. And I'm so proud of that because when I first heard that many years ago, I was like, 
that's the most amazing thing I've ever heard. Teamwork makes a dream work. And so I called my, um, you know, my IP attorney, my intellectual property attorney, which I'm big on that. And if I can give anyone a piece of advice, you have to mark, you have to protect your mark, protect your name, protect your logo, because that in this day and age, it can be taken away from you. So I called him up and, and I said, you know, hey, Mark, is this available? And he's like, can you believe it? It's available. I'm like, you, you are not going to go to sleep tonight until that mark is registered. And so, and so now we own it, and, it's, and it really is the core of what we do. Teamwork makes a good work. And if your team is happy, your internal customer is happy, your team, your external customer is going to be even happier. Well, that's the boat boss, like take an unfair advantage because you did come from the data industry. So when it comes to data-driven marketing, yes. social and your presence in uh it's perfect that you did trademark that being kim swears that i have got uh, so blessed to know but it literally you've built a brand and the brand's a promise and that brand has energy and teamwork and it really flows through in the in the presence of your brand like you know i know a lot of uh, marine dealers on linkedin um really admire not only the the knowledge that you share and the articles that you write but the extension of your brand for professionals because with that data-driven experience like you just came into an era where you said hey we're doing more with fewer people doing a better job over time working smarter and now you came into uh, being introduced to a cxp customer experience platform right pre-covid um you and randy got to go from several APIs, three or four, actually five widgets with, you know, one main to now one CXP, one API. Tell us a little bit now about like, even during the volume with COVID and the great American, um, you know, Marine rush, I would say, uh, you guys have really picked up the pace even, um, you know, pre COVID and now there's a whole new, um, velocity going on during COVID. Yeah, well, COVID was a big thing for us. I'm in all my years of, of life, I've never experienced that. None of us have. And so uh, I remember when it all happened. And, you know, I think I think you've seen this, this photo. This photo is my why this photo sits on my desk. And it's a picture of our entire team. And I know this is an audio podcast, but this is my team. And this is these are their kids. And they're um, and this is why um, you know, people say, what, what gets you motivated? Um, we have been in business 26 years and we've been through many recessions and what got me through and pulled me out of bed. There's a difference between pull and push. Uh, and so what pulls me out of bed is the fact that I have 29 people and those people have people, little people and parents that they care for. And if you think about it, if every leader were to think about that versus just cutting, 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 or, you know, it's, there's people, these are real life stories. These are people that if, if you let them down, you know, and, and, um, you know, you know, sometimes you do have to make cuts, but, um, we are all about keeping the family intact. And that's what gets me out of bed is my people. And I'll tell you what, so when COVID hit, back to my story, COVID hit, I did not sleep. I think I slept three hours a night for like two weeks straight. Because why? I was, able, you know, we had to act quickly. I had to pivot. How are we going to stay in business? How are we going to stay open? 
and um, I knew what it took every dollar. I know what how much we have to produce in order to make the business work. And we weren't making those numbers and we were in trouble. I knew we didn't have a lot of time if we were going to continue on this. So um, I was looking at the news. I'm like, OK, what what is it to be an essential business? I had to make myself an essential business. And then all of a sudden it hit me, you know, when uh, Romney and Obama were in their debating stages many years ago and they were always talking about women, women, women. I said to my husband and business partner, let me take over as majority owner. I'm going to run with the government aspect of, uh, of, of service work and um, contracting. He thought I was crazy. He was like, you know, he, and he does that a lot. He thinks I'm crazy all, all the time because I do think my mind never stops. And so he's like, whatever, just do it. And so I did it and um, read a lot about government contract work and through becoming a major contractor for local government agencies uh, in South Florida, we had become deemed an essential business. We were allowed to stay open when all the other dealerships um, were closing. So we had a reason to be at the marinas. We had a letter printed and all of our contracts with us. And so we were able to survive even well before the PP, you know, the PPP money came out. And so when that finally you know, hit, and then that was the second part of COVID was, okay, now that we're an essential business and we're trying to make it work, now we have to go after the funding. And there were so many cutting the gates. And so we had already set up a very complex, um, you know, for most people, but everything is, is touchable, frictionless, as you say. So we have mm -hmm. everything online. All of our systems are integrated. And, you know, when I did this 10 years ago, my people were like, why are we doing this? Why do we have this? And, and I was like, believe me, someday you're going to get, you're going to see the why to this. And so, and they got it whenever they had to take a day off or a week off and they were able to work out of their house easily. And, but when they didn't really see the true value of it until COVID hit and, and like that, all of a sudden they had to pick up their stuff and work out of their house. We, it was like flicking the switch. It was like nothing ever happened at FD. I was able to not only, uh, you know, submit my PPP application extremely quickly. Like the bank was like, I've never seen somebody submit paperwork so quickly in my life. Why? Because it was all integrated. It was all accessible. Just don't have that, you know, that organization. And um, so, so here we are now. And so we're in a central business. We're all organized. And so now we're all about, you know, selling, you know, selling to the, other customer. What does that other customer look like? Yes. So we have retail, we have government, and now with the human capital shortage, you know, we all, um, I said to my business partner and husband, again, another crazy thought, you know, how do we work smarter? Uh, and so what I did was went out and talked to a lot of the manufacturers and the dealers and, and other uh, companies that we have the people, they needed a service component. So we now are a provider uh, behind the scenes and also in front of the scenes for a lot of manufacturers and dealerships that don't have human capital to uh, to provide a, a fixed cost solution. So, so those well, are you you are the boat boss. You are the leader of fixed ops of what I've seen and um, been only experience. And now that you're down to one API uh, with the customer experience platform for retention. You're ready. You got, you got a big pivot going on that you shared with me, and I'd love you to share why. Um, yeah, when when awesome. Randy showed me these blueprints of this awesome FE Marine Retail Center, and now the last eight to twelve weeks, it's yeah. uh, introduced a new pivot. Can you 
uh, share with us what that is? For sure. Well, definitely the integration of uh, the system that you helped us uh, implement, you know, going from five APIs to one, I was always like out there. I had so much time wasted uh, looking at other, you know, the APIs who were doing what. And now um, you've afforded so much more time for me to grow the business. So that included um, looking into a new facility, our forever home. And so now we're looking at, you know, we're building this big facility. Um, and growing it from um, from many locations. Now we're consolidating back down into um, to sort of like where we were before, but more digital. We're only gonna have maybe two or three locations versus four or five and uh, a, a, a lot less people, but we're gonna use the tools that are out there, like, you know, obviously, you know, having one API and having a defined, we've always had a defined customer experience strategy before it was even cool. We've had our that whole system, you know, integrated and retaining and boarding and tracking our customers for a very long time. When I first introduced that position and that strategy to Randy, Randy was like, "Are you kidding me? We're gonna hire somebody that's gonna handle customer experiences." I'm like, "Shh, I got this. Don't worry about it." And now, you know, that was in 2016, and four years later, now we're customer 2020 is here. So. Back to what I was saying, what you were asking is what if our next pivot is our facility and by having all this free time, now we're, now we're ready to take the next chapter, which is building the dealership of the future, the dealership of customer 2030. And 2030 is a big thing that I'm researching right now. What's the difference between 2020 and 2030 customer? Big difference. And like you said, it's the Uber customer, you know, it's the Grubhub, it's, you know, all these you know, car saver, all these great, you know, apps and companies that have, that, that get it. And dealerships have to get it and they have to pivot quickly. And we're pivoting even, you know, in the last few weeks because of, in the last few months to change our entire model and our entire existence. And that includes changing the brick and mortar of our dealership away from an indoor facility to more one that is um, digital and, you know, um, frictionless and uh, outdoor life and, and, and you know, that sort of thing. Well, that's, you were actually integrated into the CXE because you got it, you know, data, you understand the customer experience, but when it can be automated and mm -hmm. instead of having one person, maybe having all the pressure of execution to have it uh, go to technology, it was easy working with a great team in FB. And yet, when you look at the pivot that you're talking about, it's really important because time is so valuable, right? And Tesla, Uber, Airbnb, Amazon, personalization uh, for retention. Um, you know, why are you going to treat the customer who's funny with FB, uh, you know, the same as somebody who's never met you before, right? Like, we got to keep people, when they log into their uh, cell phone on their banking software 13 times a month, they kind of expect it, especially when they're spending the kind of money for the products that you represent. Um, and the boat boss is looking 10 years ahead. That's why you're a one percenter, Kim, because you're already <laughs> looking at 2030, right? Yeah. And there's, there's, a, there's some dealers who are with you and they're going to laugh and chuckle, but then they're really not. And there's a few that are going to listen to this and go, wow, I haven't even thought about 2025. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, you brought up a really good point about, you know, the QR codes, and that was so five years ago for us. You know, when I did that at the boat show five years ago, Randy was like, what the F? Are you kidding me? What are these little things? No one's ever going to open them. And literally, 
Todd, no one did. No one even knew what they were. And we were so far ahead of our time in that respect. And that's the beauty of an IT person like myself. I'm very technical. Very, I just read everything and, and technology is, is my passion. And so we were a little ahead of the curve now on that. Like you're an innovator, was, right? Who would have thought? And now your inventory tool has a QR code on every uh, boat that's an in inventory, right? And, and today, keeping your customers safe and employees safe, Yes. That's huge. Like if you had to, I had a dealer who had to close their dealership for 30 days and then again for another 14. And when they actually found out that they had these QR codes in their inventory tool, they were like, get out. Uh, we could have used those. And the whole process of, uh, yeah. you know, um, uh, FaceTime walk through the products, yeah. so you don't even need to be yeah. 10 feet from the customer. You're in the building, they're outside. So yeah, innovating is unbelievable. And, and um, Kim, uh, literally the boat boss had adversity. And I, I think one of the things that I just enjoy being around you and Randy, the, um, you know, the electricity of we can overcome whatever is put in front of us when we work together as a team. Tell us a little bit about, um, you know, the boat boss's journey and how literally, um, you got some tough cards thrown on the table. Yeah, there's some really, you know, when, when you are at the pinnacle of your life, and I really was, I was, uh, this was five, five, uh, five and a half years ago, and in the best shape of my life, like literally working out like crazy, um, eating right, everything was perfect. And, you know, I have what I call AOIs in my life. And if you, if you're, if you read a lot, you know, it's areas of interest. And so these are these eight balls that I had going, everything from philanthropy to business to family to, you know, there's all these different things that were important to me. And as my AOIs, I had them all perfectly, you know, you know, juggling in the air. And then, um, and then I had a few signs. There were some people that uh, would walk up to me at the gym. This woman walked up to me at the gym and said, you know, you shouldn't wear your cell phone in your, in your, in your shirt like that, in your bra, in your sports bra. And I was like, what the heck, you know? And then I was like, that's weird. And then, um, and then I was at, you know, my my father-in-law is like you, look at this photo you've got this big brown spot on your on your chest and i was like what the heck so it's another sign and then the last sign was when i was um at uh at a spa and this woman was doing like you know a facial and then and i got my cancer up really high it was up up towards my collarbone and she was doing her massage and she goes what is this bump here and so i was like i believe in three signs and when it's three signs it's like legit, it's don't mess with it. And so I, um, I made an appointment and to see the doctor, you know, outside of my normal uh, annual checkup. And he said the same things, don't worry about it, it's nothing. And I was like, no, I believe in threes and I believe in signs and messages and you have to take this further and, and look into this. And, and another thing was, is my finger, one of my fingers, actually my middle finger, ironically, was turning purple for no apparent reason in the middle of the day and stuff. I was like, what the heck? And so um, I said, there's something else is going on. Went to the doctor um, and then they did a few tests and they found a mass uh, in my, on my chest, close uh, on top of my you know, upper chest lung area. And so uh, we didn't know it was cancer yet. It looked suspicious. Then they had to do a, a biopsy, they had to remove it they had to remove it. And then through that, we found out I had cancer. Um, and when you hear those words that you have cancer and your life is like going flawlessly, you know, you're like wide open throttle, W-O-T, your life is perfect. And all of a sudden you're like, what? Um, 
it was like juggling eight balls and my whole life just fell. And I cried, I cried for, uh, for a few, for like two days. And then I'm like, stop crying, you know, I, you know, I'm going to get through this and I'm going to be strong. And, um, and that was the last time that I cried and I got up and I took it like a champ. And to this day, um, there was one person that was really instrumental in my life. And that was Marty Heisinga and my husband Wayne is, um, both of them are, are, have left us. They're passed on, but, um, uh, both died of cancer, but both of them, especially Marty had taught me one thing look for the silver lining in everything, every day, every you know, experience. And so Marty taught me to find the silver lining in cancer. And what that was, was I had a voice. I had a voice, I, I had a story. And because my cancer would have never been detected being where it was at, you know, it's what's so important that now changes have been made in how they detect cancer. Now they do cancer screening all the way up to the, um, to the collarbone. And so, so cancer now has become my why. It's become our, uh, our CSR here at um, FB Marine Group. It's our community uh, social responsibility uh, strategy. We focus on it, we, we promote it. Um, I, I love it so much that I sit on the board of Moffitt Cancer Center in Tampa. And anyone that has cancer or a parent or a friend or anyone, I urge them to call me um, because it does help to know somebody that can get you in and get you in quickly and make things happen. And so I love the hospital so much. I love everything they do. And, and so, yeah, so that's my why. And, and it really has made me a much stronger person in life and in business. Yeah, well, you are, uh, like we talked about and, and the synergy of being touched by cancer, um, the people that um, take it on with positive, great attitude and the why are the ones here to talk to the rest of the people so that they can, have faith over fear, take it on and work with it. And I think one of the most inspiring things of that story uh, that you and Randy had shared with me previously was um, tell us about uh, that perfect uh, that actually paid close attention in what Chase did when this journey went down, because I think it. Yeah. So, um, so my assistant had moved back to, um, to Brazil and left, um, left me to you know, care for Chase when I was um, going through all my treatments and surgeries. And that was hard, it was hard. Talk about one of the hardest things in my life was to come home from treatment and you're exhausted and your kid is, Randy was out of town and I'm like <sighs> on the couch sleeping and I'm like, just play your video games all day. You know, and so all day meant like the poor kid didn't eat lunch or dinner practically sometimes. So um, yeah, but. It's a, it, it, it was a long day after one of my treatments, Randy was out of town and Chase, you know, when I finally woke up and it was like six o'clock and I fell asleep at like 10. He said, what do people do that, that don't have, you know, family? And I said, I don't know. I mean, they probably just, um, I, don't, I, I can't answer that. And he goes, what, well, you know, he was really sad by, you know, Chase is a very philanthropic, very, empathetic kid. He, he all wants to help the world. And I love that about him. He gets that from me, of course. And so, you know, he's like, well, what can we do? What can we do? I'm like, okay, so what, what do you tell a kid that's, you know, um, eight years old on what to do? And so I finally said, you know, why don't you do something with your coins? You have a ton of coins that, you know, you save because we always gave Chase our coins. He had this massive five gallon jug of coins. And so I'm like, do something with that. So he came up with the name, Coins Curing Cancer, which we shortened it C3 for change. 
and the website is C as in the, the, the letter C, three is in the number, for change.com. And so, .org, sorry, c3forchange.org. And so he now raises hundreds of thousands of dollars for support services and sometimes research because if the, you know, Chase chooses um, who he wants to give the funds to and 100% of what he raises goes back to uh, the community because uh, his foundation is now managed by the Community Foundation of Broward, which I sit on the board of, and they've been so generous to help Chase out and guide him to be a young philanthropist. And uh, to date, he's raised hundreds of thousands of dollars just you know, raising through coins and through online donations, frictionless, frictionless philanthropy. And I've always said that all these events and stuff are great, but they're really our friction. When you think about all the money that people have to you know, get put into an event to get how much out of it, when really we should all just be giving and not getting. And that's what Chase's charity is all about. It's deprived, it, it provides gas for people, bus tickets, wigs, you know, uh, all that stuff, uh, support services for people that, uh, that are going through cancer. It's awesome. Uh, Chase is obviously, uh, you know, exceptional person. And he gets that from two people that I got to meet and get to be around. And uh, his mom's the boat boss, top 100 Marine dealers. And Chase is going to be top 100 humans uh, in with his uh, fortitude for helping people after that adversity. It just shows that, you know, you and Randy, um, I heard that story, actually doing a lot of philanthropy around uh, cancer myself. Um, it was so touching and it's such an incredible thing to be able to be around your family who literally took that card and ran with it. And now your business with, uh, you know, all the, you know, fortitude to invest in technology during these times. You guys are doing great. And I really appreciate you coming on Frictionless to share some of your space to Just a little bit of history of Boat Boss, because I think people want to know more. I mean, anytime something's uh, tremendously successful, um, you know, most of the time people don't literally get to get a piece of that story and you never know. So I think this has uh, been awesome. Uh, for the marine industry and definitely um, for all the women in the marine industry that look up to you as someone who's not only come back from adversity but you know great mom you're you're married to the paul newman of fast boats and uh you know literally a great story so thank you very much kim swears and i look forward to um, my journey with care camps is now in the marine industry because the forest river being in the marine industry so i'm on my road show and my goal is to get that bus into the uh, swears highway yep. and uh, and and have you guys the uh i could get tips case to help care camps because we're not just uh in the rv side where the kids in camping are now going to use uh the forest river marine side as well so it's exciting let us know how we can help for sure oh you got it thanks for uh letting us uh hear your story and thanks for everything and being a part of your team it's um <laughs> Fired all at uh, level five for sure. Wow, thanks. Thanks again for all you do for us. Boat Boss. Wow, top 100 boat dealers. Hard to top that. But we're going to make a run at it because next week we got one of the hottest companies in all industries when it talks about flying, if it floats, if it drives, if it glides, it's probably getting financed at over 82%. And that company is Offer Logics. We're going to have the man, the myth, the legend, Executive Vice President and General Manager, Aaron Bickart. 
He's going to be talking to you about why an OEM, a Tier 2 association, or a large Tier 3 dealer group should listen in. Because when you talk about conversion in a frictionless environment, you need bank data, residual values, and you need Aaron Bickert right now. We'll see you next week on Frictionless. Can't wait.